Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Always love the opportunity when presented to talk with former military about why they joined and why they left. Every conversation I have is always unique, so it always piques my interest. Today, Jamie Kane, the host of the Liberty Uninterrupted podcast, joins me to talk about his time in the military and some of his success at talking younger folks out of joining the military. This is an important topic, and we need more folks like Jamie talking out loud about this. We'd rather serve God than serve Caesar, you know me? Jamie, how you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, buddy. I, you had me on your uh, podcast here a while back, and I really enjoyed our conversation. It was one of those kind of like what we're going to do today, just kind of have a conversation, kind of talk. People are going to eavesdrop in on our conversation. If they got any questions, they can reach Jamie Kane at Liberty Uninterrupted. Don't call Craig. Don't contact Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that, dude. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything when it comes to liberty or the military industrial complex or my understanding of it. You know, it's a uh, it's it's a it's a great conversation, especially as liberty minded folks and as Christians. You know, you got a lot of uh, a lot of Christians who get entangled with this stuff in the military, and it's not what we were instructed to do by Christ, you know? So it's, it's really, I like these conversations. I like talking to former military, even people that are still in the military. I want to talk to you as well, because I think we need to, we need to figure out what the hell's going on. Why are people joining? Why are they leaving? Why are people waking up to why they shouldn't be in the military? And they're seeing things in the military. We're like, all right. And this is what you said something before I jump too far ahead, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little background before we get into it. Cause I want folks to know who you are. They go where they plug all your stuff at the end. Yeah, yeah. No, you're good. Once again, you know, Jamie's my name. I have a podcast called Liberty Uninterrupted where the focus is uh, talking about the libertarian solutions to the problem known as the state. I, I use libertarian very loosely. I consider myself a uh, volunteerist for the most part. Um, you know, but I, uh, you know, I use libertarian as a kind of an umbrella term, right? So a little bit back, back on the podcast there, as far as my time in the military, I joined the military actually when I was 17 years old, uh, which I had to get a parent co-sign. So my dad, who was a, a former Marine signed for me, um, he was my co-signature and he actually, it's funny when I joined the military, he, he had read, um, War is a Racket by Smedley Butler. If anybody's familiar with that, if you haven't read that, it's a very short pamphlet. Smedley Butler was the most decorated Marine in Marine history. He was a general when he retired, and he wrote a very short pamphlet about how war is a racket, talking about how it was built to basically line the pockets of special interest in lobbyists. And, you know, my dad had read that years previously and had refused to sign my co-sign paperwork if I wanted to join the Marine Corps. He was totally against me joining the Marine Corps. Um, he wanted me, he's like, if you're going to join anything, join the Air Force. So I taught the Air Force recruiter, decided against that. And then I went to Army. He reluctantly signed that. And the day that I got home from the Army recruiter's office, he told me, I want you to remember that you're no longer, you, you're not 
fighting for the freedom that you're fighting for, right? That's what my dad told me the day that I got home. You're not fighting for the freedom that you think you're fighting for. What you're really fighting for is lobbyists and special interests and bankers and oil. Um, and he's like, the only reason I tell you that was, is because I never want you to look back and say, I never told you before, you know? And he had tried telling me that previously, but I didn't want to listen because it, it, since I was seven years old, I wanted to be in the military. My, my dad was a Marine. My grandfather was a Marine. My, my uncle was in the Navy. My other uncle was in the Air Force. I had another uncle that was in the, a great uncle that was in the Army, like very military um, driven family history. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so that was kind of always my goal when I joined up, it, you know, he was very adamant about telling me the truth and, um, and I'm glad that he did, you know, I, I wish I would have listened previously, but I'm glad that I at least, you know, remember that, you know, as I was going through my military career and started to wake up, um, you know, kind of shortly thereafter of, you know, in, in my career. So I remember right after nine 11, you know, and I, I mentioned this, you know, quite a bit on, on our show that. Right after 9-11, the day after I started talking to a buddy at church, and we started, we, we was going to go sign up for the Arkansas National Guard. Because at the time, it was like, we got to go fight them, or they're going to keep coming and fighting us. It's very naive. It's a very naive, you know, way of thinking. Yeah. And That's what you're being told, though. Right. You know, when it's something, you know, you were talking about, you know, since you were seven years old, you want to be in the military. It's always something that you think about growing up, I think. Maybe not everybody, but kind of growing up, you see it and you see how they portray it as being honorable and you're going to fight for uh, freedoms. Yes. Uh, you know, you're, you're fighting for liberty. You're, you're defending your homeland. You're defending uh, your neighbor. And that's the way it's portrayed. And, and I love what you just mentioned about what your dad said, because that's nobody says that, especially yes. ex-military. I've not heard anybody that's gotten out of the military that has come out straightforward and told their son, you're not fighting for the freedom that you're thinking of. Yeah. You're fighting for special interests and lobbyists. And I don't think people understand that too. Cause we got, you got people that are in power, rich people in power all over the world. Right. And they're sending poor people in to fight their wars. No, no, no. Why don't you go fight them yourselves? Yep. I don't know that person over there. They're not mad at me. They're mad at you. You go fight them. <laughs> you know, it's, you go have fun. Well, it's easy. I mean, it's easy for the politicians, man. I mean, I can't remember who said there's a quote. I think it was Woodrow Wilson where he talked about he's got no qualms about sending people into war because it's not he's because he knew he wasn't one, he wasn't going to be the one to be going into the war. And that's what it is. Like it's it's the rich, it's the rich people that get rich off of the backs of the taxpayers, get rich off the backs of special interests and lobbyists, they go and send the poor people because that's that's people don't understand. It's not the rich family's children who's signing up for the military. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's not. You know, because those kids are going off to school, which is, you know, indoctrination of itself. But that's not what we're talking about today. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I didn't grow up in an affluent family at all. We were broke ass when I was growing up. Dude. You know what I'm saying? And so like it, not only is a they, they portray the military as this like very virtuous, very, um, you know, righteous thing to do. And no doubt, like when I joined up when I was a kid and, and the kids thing about joining up, like we all have these grandiose dreams of, of fighting for liberty. Like, that's why I signed up, man. It wasn't for the college benefits. It wasn't for like, I obviously love liberty, but, and I loved liberty throughout my entire childhood and my teenage years. Like, and that's why I signed up. Cause I was like, I'm going to fight for freedom across the globe because that's what we need to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I had decided, you know? And so, but at the same time, I would be lying if I didn't say, 
oh, like this is going to provide me a life. This is going to provide me 20 years of benefits and housing opportunities and, you know, good pay and health insurance that I don't have to worry about while I'm fighting for liberty and freedom, right? Once again, it's not the rich kids that are going to join the military. It's all, all my friends that joined the military out of high school, we were all broke. All of us, like all of our families, uh, it, it, except for there was one of my friends, one of them whose family was relatively well off, but he wanted to make his own name for himself. And that's what he did. He joined the military. That's so interesting, too, you know, because, you know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. And when you think about, you know, joining, uh, joining it, because it gives you kind of a, a way out. It gives you an idea. All right. So I'm going to fight for something virtuous. I'm doing something virtuous with my life to defend my neighbor, defend this country, you know? Yeah. And then there's like you just said, all the benefits that come along with it, you know, school, housing, insurance, all that stuff that comes along with it. You, could, you get to see the world too, dude. Yeah. You get to travel. You get to go to Germany and Japan and Guam and, and, you know, no one wants to go to the desert, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like when you're on, but you also go to all these, like if you're in the air force or Navy, those guys go all over the world and see the coolest places. You know what I'm saying? Like I have friends that went over to Italy because they were in the Navy. And I'm like, dude, hell, I should have joined the Navy and just got a free vacation, you know? <laughs> I was at the gym the other day and I'd, I'd finished up. I was in the locker room and I was grabbing my stuff out of the locker. And they, they, there was a guy in there. He was in full Navy garb, you know, getting ready to go work out and stuff. And these guys were just celebrating this guy, you know, like talking about how great he was. I was sitting there thinking, man. Lock it up, Craig. Don't say anything stupid because you don't know him. Be just, just, it's time to walk away. So it got to the point where I was listening to all the celebration of this guy and another guy that's part of the gym and being in the military. And it was just like a, it was like a, they, they cast all this, this praise on these folks. And I think that sucks people in sometimes. But I was listening to this like, all right, have you seen that gift, the uh, SpongeBob gift when he's like, all right, I'm going to head on out. I'm going to head out. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to head out. <laughs> That's the way I was at that point. I'd already grabbed my stuff, but I was listening to this like, all right, lock it up, Craig. Let's go. Yeah. Let them, let them have their fun. But I think that's a problem, too, when you get folks celebrating this type of stuff without understanding what's happening to these people. What I have a problem with, when, you know, people tell me all the time, well, you're just not supporting the troops. You're not a supporter of the military. I'm like, I support them so much 100%. that I don't think they need to be sent into illegal wars. If we're going to get into the United States Constitution, all these wars have been illegal since what? Maybe World War II? You know? Yeah. And they're coming back in caskets. They're coming back broken. They're coming back maimed. You know, the suicide rate among veterans these days is far greater than the people, the, the soldiers that actually died in Afghanistan. Yep. That's a problem. And there's something going on with this that, that people are not paying attention to. Because I think, you know, you talked about school indoctrination a while ago. There's something that we're taught growing up that it's, it's a virtuous thing to join the military. And it's not, I don't know. I don't know, man. It drives me crazy. And I, but I, I fell into that trap too. Like I said, after 9-11, I was going to go sign up because like George Bush was saying, we don't kill them over there. They're going to kill us over here. They hate us because of our freedom. <laughs> what? Well, I, I appreciate what you said too, because I there are some in the anarchist, I, I wouldn't say libertarian, but the anarchist camp that I've talked to that kind of go about shaming, you know, people that are in the military yeah. and, and calling out the individuals. And I'm like, dude, I was there. I was a part of it, bro. Like you don't under, like you in their hearts, they legitimately think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they're legitimately thinking that they're protecting liberty and they're protecting freedom and they're fighting for at least it used to be. I don't know about I don't know about now. I know a lot of the kids that 
I've talked to that have either gone in or I've talked to out of going in the military, you know, uh, a lot of it's like the benefits part of it. And that, and that's always been a huge part of it. Right. But like shaming the people that are in there isn't how you change hearts and minds. It's shaming the entity of the military industrial complex. Right. Like, right. It, it's, it, you know, you, like, you know, once again, it kind of goes back to the thing. It's like, they're not choosing to get sent off to Afghanistan. They're not choosing like to get sent off to Iraq and Baghdad. Sure. They joined up the military, but like they said, Hey, I want to protect the constitution. And, you know, um, you know, as anarchy, as anarchy, you know, there's a different opinion of the constitution, which I understand, but they signed up saying, I want to protect the constitution for enemies, foreign and domestic. Right. That was why we signed up. That domestic part's always missed. I was thinking about that as you were talking, because that's got me in some trouble with, with uh, military. Yeah. You know, with the whole COVID stuff. I said, I know you take an oath to defend the constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. I said, where's that domestic part? Sure. We don't talk about the domestic part, dude. Straight up. I'll be honest about that. It pisses, it pisses some of them off. I'm like, let's be honest. You took the oath. Yeah. I mean, and it's got me in trouble with friends that are in military, in the military, you know. But I'm like, let's talk about it. And, you know, the last two years with COVID, all that garbage that was going on by the government. Are you defending my liberty? Come on. Or this assault weapons ban that's coming out. Um, I just did my first live podcast and we talked to the assault weapons ban. I'm like, this is a clear, this is clearly an attack on the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the United States, right? Like that is that to, to me, that is a domestic attack on in, you know individual liberty and freedom in this country. Um, but anyways, going back to the fact that like, you know, these soldiers, they sign up for they that's what they signed up for to protect the constitution from enemies, foreign and domestic, right? I didn't sign up to go and fight in proxy wars. I didn't go sign up and to go and fight uh, for the military industrial complex. At least, that's, I, I, of course, I did, but that's not like that wasn't my reasoning. You know, what I'm saying my reasoning was to protect the constitution, to protect this country. You know, in my mind, and they send you off to do these horrible things and to. Um, you use you as war game pawns, kind of the terminology I, I like to use because that's what you are. You are you're you're playing these war games, and you're just a simple pawn in their game. Uh, and, and that's why I'm saying, like, if, if we're going to change hearts and minds and turn them away from the military industrial complex, we've got to stop shaming the people and shame the entity and shame the actions and expose these you know these kids to the reality of the situation that they're signing up for. You know, which I think is happening. I do think it's happening. And I'm, I'm so I'm so happy that you brought that up, that you mentioned that about, you know, these anarchist circles, because I, I feel the same way that you do about this. We've got to stop treating these people like I hear anarchists like talk about these folks like they're dirty rags, yeah. you know, like they're they're horrible human beings. And it, I do it with politicians. <laughs> you yeah, know? for sure. Well, because politicians know why they're going into politics, though, and they know why they're going into politics. They know what they want to accomplish, right? They're in the military. There's a disconnection between why individuals join and then what they're sent to do because of politicians' actions. I don't think it is fruitful. I don't think it advances the conversation to start shaming folks and treating them like uh, dirt bags because you disagree with what they're doing. I don't think I don't think it works. I don't I don't think that works. It's not one time in my life. Has Craig ever stepped up and said, you're a dirtbag, and they, it's changed their mind? Yeah. I don't think people understand, too. Like, I mean, you don't you don't get to choose. If I stood up and said, I'm not willing to do these things, then I, that's a court-martial. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that, that's, not, that's, not a, that's not a disarmable discharge. That's a court-martial. That, that's military prison. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, is, that is called being uh, insubordinate. 
and that is not taken lightly. You know what I'm saying? It, it's not one of those things that you can just walk away from. Like you are, you sign a contract to be government property, and that's one thing that's not talked about enough. Like you literally, your being becomes the state's property when you sign those recruitment papers. Right, and I think that's that's another great point that that, that is missed by folks. If you're going to join the military, you're getting involved with this. I never thought about that, you know, going in. And I, I'm thankfully, when I went to, we went to sign up for the Arkansas National Guard, I was four pounds overweight and they rejected me. My buddy got accepted. Our idea was we were going to go to Afghanistan and spread the gospel. <laughs> that's what we thought we were going to do, right? It's admirable, you know. And that's what he thought he was going to do. He said his first, he got, he got deployed to Afghanistan and his first, as soon as his boots hit the ground, he was in a firefight. I said, that sounds terrifying. You know, at the time when I was talking about joining, a lot of people were like, well, I'm very proud of you. My mom was worried sick. And she was thankful <laughs> that I was too fat to go to the Arkansas National <laughs> Guard. <laughs> you know? But- well, because they, they even misuse that, though. Like, if you were joining the National Guard, like, the whole purpose of the, the whole purpose of National Guard was never to be deployed like they are. Like, sure, you get deployed or whatever, but, like, right. it's supposed to be this, like the individual state's you know, military force, right? And they misuse those guys, you know? It's just one thing after another, man. So right. Just a, it's a little off subject, but I mean, just as an example of how you're you're misused, you know? You're just, you're just a pawn, once again. Yeah, and you're just a number, and then you come back draped in a, in a flag-covered casket. For what? For what? I mean, I kind of want to go back to a little bit, because what I was talking, something that's very, that very frustrating to me is, is the whole domestic side of this. I try to I try to make it a point to talk about this with folks listening because I want them to understand if you're defending liberty, let's defend liberty. If that's actually what's happening during COVID, every the White House, every governor's mansion should have been on fire. Let's be honest. Let's be honest about this. And when you say that, people it kind of takes them back. And I'm like, come on. Enemies foreign and domestic. What do you think I got out of the military, dude? Was for the cause of liberty. I wasn't fighting for liberty in the military. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's because of liberty that I left the military. It's because of of, of my love of individual sovereignty and, and uh, my hate for the state that I left the military, dude. Like that was the best thing that I could have done in that time frame for the cause of liberty was to leave the military industrial complex, right? So at what point when you were in the military, because you told me we, we kind of talked about it, some of the messaging to kind of prepare for it, you know, over time and – you said there was that you started realizing it was a lie. Yeah. So you said you were in the army for what, six years. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Okay. So at what point during the six years did you start waking up and saying like, hang on, this is a lie. I've been lied to about this. Is there something that happened? Um, I don't know if it's something that happened immediately. Like that, what my dad told me obviously stuck with me. You know what I'm saying? Like him, him saying you're fighting for, special interest in lobbyists and banks and oil, uh, you know, and, and what he, and I didn't finish that story. What he also said, you know, cause my dad is like my best friend, man. Like my dad's like my hero, you know? So, um, but what he also said at the end of that comment was who you remember, who you're really fighting for is a guy next to you is a friend that you're going to make there. And that's what I kind of clung on to. Like after, cause I had realized while I was in and it was all a lie. So what I had clung to then was like, okay, then I just got to take care of my buddies that are with me. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, by the time I had realized it was all a lie, I had, I had, I was already in the reserve. So it was a little bit different. Like I wasn't living it day to day. Like I had been. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, when, when I had realized that it was kind of like a slow burn, you know what I'm saying? Because I, 
I joined in 2011. Ran, oh, not Ran Paul, Ron Paul, um, who was the guy that really woke me up, right? Like Ron Paul was, you know, the catalyst for me. And anybody that listens to Liberty Interrupted knows that, right? Um, when Ron Paul ran for his 2012 presidential election and him talking about um, how the U.S. military had been misused, we had been lied to because, I mean, he was talking, he was one of the few politicians in like, after 9-11, like not, I'm not talking about like years later, I'm talking about like several months later that was saying that what we were doing in invading Iraq was wrong and going to Afghanistan was wrong. Like he was at the forefront when they were calling him a traitor and a liar and they were laughing at him, right? Like he was there. I just didn't know who he was. So when he ran for 2012, ran for the nomination in 2012, and he was talking that way and talking about the real reasons why the people in the Middle East hate us, the real reasons why nations around the world, especially in the Middle East, were applauding and saying death to America when the towers fell, right? Like as a kid, that pissed me off watching those videos. Right. But then when you learn, and it doesn't excuse it, right? Like we can talk about 9-11 and the reality of it or, or conspiracy theories on a different day. <laughs> but let's just assume, right? Like we're, what actually happened is the truth, right? Um yeah, it pissed me off when I was a kid hearing like as somebody that was proud to be an American was yeah. came from a very patriotic family. Death to America. You can go to hell, dude, and I'll send you there. You know what I'm saying? Like that was my mentality. I'm happy to send you to hell. But anyways, rewind. So when Ron Paul started talking about those things, um, that's probably when like the start of it started to happen. And then I started reading like his, you know, the revolution, Ron Paul's revolution, the Libertarian Manifesto, where the first like two chapters are about the military industrial complex and, and the, the ramifications of U.S. foreign policy interventionism. Um, that's kind of really what was a snowball effect. And from there, it has finally started mounting where I was halfway through my contract and I was just like, this is a bunch of BS. Like, it's all lies, you know. And at that time, I was truly like a constitutional libertarian to really help understand where, that, where I was um, as an ideology. So – I know that's kind of all over the place. Hopefully that made sense. But I love it. That's cool because I, I, I like the conversation about Ron Paul. You were talking about him, the things he was saying. I was one of those people called him a traitor. Yeah, a lot of neocons did, dude. And I didn't know I was a neocon until I got involved with libertarian circles. I didn't even <laughs> heard that word before until they started calling me a neocon. But I remember listening, watching these Republican debates and him saying the stuff on the debate stage. I was like, this guy is unpatriotic. Yeah. He's not supporting the troops. Right. I was one of those, you know, because you'd hear folks in the crowd booing him. I was sitting on my couch booing him. Now, a lot of folks got to the liberty movement because of the things that Ron Paul did and was saying. I didn't. Now, looking back on the stuff he say, he was saying when I was booing him, he was correct. And it's very, that's got to be a very... Uh, Bold stance to stand up in front of a bunch of Republicans, military-loving, country-loving Republicans, right? Supposedly military-loving. Right. That's the thing. Suppose it was it was Romney and Giuliani and I forget the other guys. So Scott Perry was the other big guy, I think, back then, you know? And I remember them literally laughing at him. You know what I'm saying? Like laughing at him when he was talking about this and Ju the, the Giuliani moment of, I, I take offense to that. You need to take that back, you know? Um, I, maybe that was, was that 2008 or 2012. I think that was 2012 when Ju the Giuliani Ron Paul moment. I think it was. I think it was 2012, and it, that that was so. Actually, looking back, that was so funny to watch because yeah, straight up, Ron Paul embarrassed that dude. 
on on live television. I remember like the audience was quiet because they didn't know what to think about it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because everything he made sense, but it was contradictory to everything we had been told. Right. You know what I'm saying? And th- and that to rewind, you, know, you said that these military loving Republicans, the the guy that was the most pro military on that stage was by far Ron Paul. Yeah. The 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 guy that that care about the military me- service members the most was it wasn't even close because he was the only one on that stage banging the table saying what we're doing is wrong and it's costing American lives and it's costing lives in the Middle East. It's a uh, it's something that when I had Scott Horton on, we, he talked he talks about Ron Paul all the time. I think this guy's in love with Ron Paul, by the way. And I love Scott Horton. I'm just I'm just <laughs> fun, but I mean I am too, we, brother. I'm not gonna lie. I talk about him way too much. <laughs> like I'll just bring up a random like random conversation. Like a man, a man crush on, on Ron Paul. Is that what's going on here? Yeah, I'm a huge football fan, college football and NFL. And uh, we talk about football. But, like that reminds me of the time that Ron Paul said, uh, you know, <laughs> Ron Paul in any conversation. So you told me you said something on that when you had me on your show. You said something one during our conversation. He goes, "This is how we ruin Thanksgiving dinners." <laughs> <laughs> we could write a book on how to ruin a Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, that's what that's what it was. I was like, that's what I we could we should write a book on how to ruin Thanksgiving dinners. Man, it's true. That's so true. Libertarians can ruin any any family gathering. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Lock it up, Craig. Lock it up. Lock it up. Five minutes and eating turkey and dressing. You're like, well, hang on a second. I got a question. Yeah, dude, that's <laughs> literally happened to me at uh, Thanksgiving dinner. So I, I can totally relate. But what's our? What are you saying? You're saying Scott Horton in love with Ron Paul. So uh, he he mentioned something when I had him on the first time was because I wanted Christians who are still kind of on the fence about this to listen to what Scott Horton had to say about this. You know, being anti-war and he mentioned the United States government has killed a Holocaust worth of people, maybe more. And if, if at the time when he said it, it didn't really kind of like register. And then when I listened to it again, I was like, oh, we need to talk about that more. Because I don't think I don't think Christians and liberty lovers, non-Christian or Christian, like whatever. I don't think people take that into account. The amount of destruction that the United States government has caused across the world. And Ron Paul said it. There's a reason why these folks are pissed off at us. Yeah. It's not because what George Bush said, because they hate us for freedom. That's garbage. Because if anybody can look at what's gone on the last two years, we're not even free in this country. What are they hating on? Now they're pissed off because we've been occupying their land. You know, what's going on in Yemen? We're backing up back in Saudi Arabia. And, and Scott Horton calls it a genocide. It is a genocide in Yemen, for sure. Nobody talks about it. You talk about, they, they want to talk on corporate media, they want to talk about Ukraine and Russia all the time, right? There's not one mention of what's going on in Yemen. These five-year-old babies are dying of cholera because they can't get clean water because the United States government is bombing their hospitals, bombing their water treatment facilities, bombing their weddings. I would be pissed off too. We're fun. That's what, that's what they'll say. It's like We're not physically doing that, but no, we're funding it. We're backing Saudi Arabia. We're the ones selling them the bombs. We're the one imposing the sanctions. You know, so I asked Horton that. I said at the very end of that show, I said I, I need one. I need you to answer one question. I said, without the United States backing of this, would this be going on? He said, No. Exactly. That's the thing. Saudi Arabia came and asked Obama for permission. First of all, yep. You mean the Nobel Peace Prize winner? <laughs> what is peace anymore? What does that even mean? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, man. At least not to them, you know, and that's and that's the issue. I don't think, you know, and, and obviously this is a Christian podcast. And, and for those that haven't heard of me, which I'm sure there's 
the majority of you, you know, uh, I, I am a Christian myself and, you know, it's from the Christian perspective, if, if, you know, the Republicans and the conservatives, I like just say, well, we're a Christian nation, this, that, and the other. Okay. Like, sure. Like, why not? You know, let's argue from your point of view. Then we're a Christian nation is what we're doing. What Christ would do if he was leading our nation then? No, not even close, dude. You know what I'm saying? Not even close. And that's another thing that was really shocking to me when I started kind of waking up to this stuff. And I, I talk about this quite a bit. And people, if you get sick of me talking about it, I'm, I'm just having a, a new conversation with my friend, Jamie. But I talk, when I started waking up and realizing and, and getting involved with the libertarian circles and started talking to anarchists and started understanding anarchy and then all this was coming together. And then I was like, oh, this kind of aligns with what my faith is. Anarchism sounds like what Jesus would do. Mm-hmm. And then when they were calling me a neoconservative, because I was always pretty, pretty staunch, even when I get libertarian circles, like we still have to be able to go fight them and defend our country. And they're like, defend them, from, de- de- defend the country from who, from what? My favorite example is to use when people talk about, you know, like, like you said, you know, like we got to go protect our, like if we don't go over there, they're going to come over here. Right. And, and we talk about the reasoning behind them hating America. We talk about the reasoning behind them plotting, you know, terrorist acts against Americans or American entities or whatever it may be. And, and the example I always use is if, if, you know, let's say another nation came to America. They came to America with their guns, with their tanks, with their Humvees. They pushed you inside your house. They pointed, they pointed a weapon at your wife and your kid's face and told them to go inside. They bombed your local market or your local hospital like Obama did. Drone strikes, right? Like they bomb, they, you know, they mistakenly uh, bomb a, a van that has mostly women and children and call it collateral damage. How would you feel? In a country that has 400 million guns, I highly doubt we would stand by and be peaceful. I highly doubt and say, right. you know what? They're just fighting for freedom. They're just fighting for democracy. You know, like that's not how it goes. Like as a, as those of us that are American and live in America, man, like we, I know exactly what we would do. And 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 to, and I, once again, I, and I, I never want to take agency away from people either. Like the people that hit the twin towers use their agency to act in violence and kill three thousand American. And, and they if they had survived. They had they would be subject to the worst punishment known to mankind, in my opinion, right? But at the end of the day, we like Ron Paul said, he's like, I don't excuse the actions, but we have got to stop adding fuel to the fire because recruitment for these terrorist organizations. I mean, I don't know, I don't know the statistics, but what I do know is that Al Qaeda couldn't they couldn't recruit a dude if they had Girl Scout cookies for a lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Like they couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden, when we start drone striking and we start dropping bombs and, and people start dying in their hometowns, recruiting becomes very easy when you say, we're going after these people. That becomes a very easy sell to an 18-year-old kid who lost his entire family over American foreign policy. And I think that is so misunderstood. And that's one thing I do love about the, what, what Ron Paul was saying. And, and, and I get, I, I'm very careful about heaping praise on a politician because I don't want it to sound like I'm a status, you know, like I, I was interviewed on a, on a podcast and he was talking about Ron Paul. He goes, if Ron Paul ran for president today, would you vote for him? And I looked him dead and I said, no, first of all, yeah. I'm an anarchist. No, first of all, I'm a Christian. Okay. 
and, it, and he's got a lot of great things to say. But as a Christian, it's not it's not fair for me to put somebody in power over my neighbor. It's not fair. Yeah, it doesn't matter who it is, right? Yeah, that is not fair. It doesn't matter who it is, and, and he's got a lot of great things to say. And I, and I love Ron Paul too. I, maybe I do have a man crush on Ron, Ron Paul as well. I don't know. I, but, I have zero problem admitting it, man. If, there, if you want to call me a simp for a politician, <laughs> and it happens to be Ron Paul. I'm good with it, dude. You know, I don't really care because that because in my opinion, he used he used that platform in the most honorable way it could ever have been used. He t- the things that he talked about, the people that he woke up like you and I, and I mean, you know, I don't know how many countless other libertarians that we have now because of because of his 2008 2012 campaigns and what he's done after, you know, culturally, because that's really what it came down to. It wasn't even politics. It was the culture that he influenced. And he even said later, he's like, I knew I wasn't going to win the presidential election, but he's like, I knew I could get people to pay attention to me if I was on that stage. And you know what? I, I applaud that because he used the system against itself. And I, and I can get down with that. Even more about Ron Paul. And this is something that I hit libertarians with because they want to talk about the great things that he's done and, and how many people he brought into libertarianism, you know, with the st- stuff he was saying. I said, you know what else he did? He also proved once and for all that the mafia cannot be changed from within. That is a great point. It really is. A thousand percent. That's why I tell these people that are excited about Dave Smith. Don't get me wrong. I love Dave Smith. I think Dave Smith is a stud. I really like Dave a lot. I think he's a great messenger. I think he's the best messenger we've had since Ron Paul when it comes to libertarianism. But if Ron Paul couldn't do it, I'm sorry, man. Dave Smith running on the libertarian ticket, sure, it doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. Yeah, we got to be realistic about it. Yeah, it, well, it's it's absolutely true, and that's another thing too. When, when we're kind of getting off off topic, but I, that's what we do on the show. We we kind of bounce around and we come back to what we were talking about eventually. Because it's libertarians that get off topic. <laughs> it's like hurting cats. <laughs> it's not a libertarian podcast if you don't get off topic at least seven times. <laughs> seven times. That's that's uh, being generous. Actually, I was thinking more like fifteen. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Hey folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman, and would like to try your hand at writing, and send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Dave, speaking of Dave Smith, and this is where my frustration comes along the lines with anarchists getting involved back with that stuff. We talked about this on your show. Because at the time, I'd, I'd listened to some of your episodes prior to, you know, kind of prepare to speak with you. Mm-hmm. And there was a conversation you had with, with a couple of guys on your show. I can't remember who they were, but they, they were talking about this as anarchists and going and, yeah, I'll probably vote for Dave Smith. But I was like, well, you're not an anarchist, though. I'm very in my head. I can't wrap my brain around that as an anarchist. People are like, well, we got to get the message out there. I was like, why don't you just get the message out there without trying to run for, yeah. polit- you know, for political power? I know you're not going to win. You know you're not going to win. Yeah. But what are you doing? Yeah. You can get the message out there without trying to work through the state. And that's where it comes back to like Christ- Christianity. Like you said, this is a Christian podcast, right? As Christians, we should be working on the outside of the community, you know, on the, on the, on the edges of community instead of trying to work within the, the system that can't be changed. That, that we already know from reading the Bible that 
the state is backed by Satan, mm-hmm. right? And so the state has the military. The military is going to be backed by Satan. Now, there's a lot of folks, and I, I, I'll admit this, a lot of folks that go into politics with good intentions. But once you get involved with the mafia, you're part of the mafia. It changes you. Once you get, there's a lot of folks that go into the military, like you were saying a while ago, that have good intentions. They have good intentions, but once you're part of it, yeah. If you don't have some kind of level head, it's going to screw you up. You got a level head. You started waking up to it, but then thankful, thankfully, your dad mentioned that prior to you going in, so it was kind of stuck in the back of your head that you could kind of keep going back to. And I think that probably maybe helped you kind of open your eyes and be like, "This is a lie." Yeah, I don't. I mean, he planted the seed. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, if I had listened to my dad in the beginning, then I would have never joined the military. But I didn't. I was hard head kid, and my dad believed in letting me make my own choices. Hence, why he co-signed for me because he knew, uh, you know, I turned 18 a month anyway, so he knew I was going to do it one way or another. So, you know, my, you know, might as well just do it now. So, but he, he believed in letting me make my own choices as you know, liberty-minded people do, you know, and, um, but he definitely planted the seed, you know what I'm saying? If it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have, I I mean, I shouldn't say that. I think I still would have paid attention to Ron Paul, but it anchored back to what my dad had said. Like if I had heard Ron Paul for the first time, I probably would have taken offense to it. Like I took offense to the words that my dad said. I was like, dad, what are you talking about? I get, I'm I, cause I was pissed at him. I mean, I mean, that's the one part I didn't mention was that it made me angry. It upset me, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm signing up for freedom. I'm signing up for liberty. I'm signing up to do the right thing when like 99% of the kids that graduated, that I, that got graduated high school with me are just going to get drunk at some university for four years. I'm the one signing up to protect our country. You know what I'm saying? So it pissed me off. But when I heard, because I got, because I got mad as I often did with my dad when he said the right things. And still do, to be completely honest with you, because that's what kids do. Uh, you know, when I heard Ron Paul speak for the first time, that anger had already dissipated because I thought about what my dad said and admit, and and I had accepted it somewhat. And then when Ron Paul started talking about it, the anger was gone. And then only then was there an openness for truth. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of going back to where my journey started. You know, I think that's what allowed that journey to to really take root and to grow was I'd already got that anger and that in, in the propaganda kind of feelings outside of what Ron Paul had been saying, you know, I want to go back a little bit further. What we were talking, you, you mentioned something about uh, 400 million guns in this country. And I don't know if you, something like that, but, but I think it's an interesting point too. Cause when you, when you, when folks are worried about, do you know who Jason Stapleton is? The name sounds super familiar. So when I first got involved with uh, Libertarian Circles, I was listening to his podcast, and he had a, and I was listening to a lot of things he was saying. He's not a, a Christian. He's well, maybe he's a Christian, but he's not an anarchist, right? Mm-hmm. But he said something about because like he's he's been he was in the military, but he said something that kind of made sense to me at the time when I was still kind of worked through my own you know weird ideas about the military and the state. He said we should pull all of our troops back and set up a defensive front. And a lot of folks think that if we're not if we're not spending time occupying these folks' land, then they're going to be over here attacking us. And you mentioned the the, the four hundred million guns. I'm a pacifist now, so I'm not advocating for killing anybody whatsoever in any in any situation. And that gets me pushed back from even Christians, and that's fine. I get it. But the reason I came to that conclusion is the stuff I've read about the early church and how they behaved and that that was something that was universal among them is not killing people right so 
people are worried about if we're not spending time in other people's countries, then they're going to come over here. If these folks actually try to attack the United States of America, there's 400 million guns in this country. They know that. They know that. That's why Japan didn't do it in World War II. The Emperor of Japan said, or the, not the Emperor, but I guess the, I can't remember, the general said, well, why don't we invade um, America? Someone asked him that. And like the leading general of Japan during World War II said, because behind every blade of grass is a gun. Right. And you mentioned while ago that the, uh, you did that live podcast, you know, you said this is an attack on the Second Amendment. You know, that they're trying to take that self-defense away from folks. This is where I get in trouble with like left-leaning Christians when they see like the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And then you got something in, that happened in Indiana. You know, we've got shootings in America, right? But they want to, they want more gun laws. I'm like, so you're telling me that you want to take the guns out of people's hands and give those guns, all those guns to the state, more money, more power to the state. Then you, uh, in, in the next breath, you're going to complain about an unarmed black man being shot to death by the police. Yep. You want those folks to, 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 to have all the rules, have all the laws with no, with no defense. You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because there is no sense to it. It's just control. I've got a pistol. But I like to shoot. I like to target practice. I like that's fun for me. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I love it. But at some point, I, I got to a point where I was like, I'm not going to carry it in my truck with me anymore because I know if it's there, then I'm, it, I'm. It's that much easier to use. I would rather go die trying to defend somebody than try to kill somebody that is is harming somebody. If that makes sense, I know it sounds very. Maybe it sounds naive. I don't know. Well, that's, I think that's, this is one area I know where you and I disagree. We didn't talk about much. We didn't go too much into it um, during like our episode you did on Liberty Uninterrupted, but like you and I disagree on the pacifism aspect of it, right? Um, of of Christianity, you know, and and using in use of firearms for self defense, right? But like, but the thing that you and I don't disagree on is is not removing the right for people to own them, right. you know. So like, I'm good with it, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can feel however you want to feel about it. And I'll feel however I want about it. But right. I I carry on with me every day. You know what I'm saying? Um, but with all that being said, you know, going back to the purpose of the episode, like you talked about, you know, I, your point, I think your point was going towards, you know, people argue, and I've heard this all the time, but we've got to have bases across the globe because if we don't, that just invites problems to America. Like, does it though? Like, d- give me a country that's going to invade America tomorrow. <laughs> and everybody will say China. Dude, people don't understand like Ch- like in China or Russia or whatever, like, it's, I don't want to get into all the and, and Scott Horton has talked about this a ton. I just recommend you go and listen to Scott Horton talk about China and Russia as legitimate threats to American freedom because he can do it much better than I can. They're not, they have zero interest in doing that. There is zero, and, and we talk about and obviously in um, when it comes to libertarianism. You know, our entire philosophy is built off the idea that not the entire philosophy, but a good portion of it is built off the idea that people act in self-interest. And that's just that's just psychology, right? There is no world where invading America aids anybody in the globe at all. Because they, they wouldn't first of all, they wouldn't get very far. And two, there's no advantageous advantage to it, right? In my opinion, from what I've seen listening to Scott Horton and, and you know antiwar.com and Dave DeCamp who's come on my podcast, right? So um with all that being said, I don't think it's I think it's naive and utopian to think Putting bases, military bases, not peace because they use a terminology peacekeeping bases is their terminology they use. Uh, uh, what? What? You know, I'm like, uh, there's no, there's no such thing as a peacekeeping troop. 
There's no such thing as a peacekeeping soldier. It is simply a soldier who's been trained to kill because that's what soldiers are trained to do is to kill. Um, first and foremost, now we all have different jobs in the military, right? We all have different MOSs or whatever it may be. But but very first, you're an infantryman. Very first, right? That's your first job. It's your foremost job in the military. With all that being said, I think it's utopian and naive to think that we can put these military bases, these military operational bases across the globe and not upset some people. And not think, I mean, imagine if Israel or Russia or, you know, let's say China, let's use China as an example, put military bases in America somewhere, in Texas, in Florida. California would probably invite it, but like, you know what I'm saying, in, in Oklahoma, we would be up in arms about being occupied by a foreign force. But for some reason, because we're America, it doesn't count. Right. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I was fixing to make that point, too, because I've, I've talked to folks about that. I was like, do you can you imagine if these other countries were behaving like we do in other countries, setting up shop and they're in in, in, in America, you would be pissed off. You would be angry about it. Why? What makes you any different than them? Because we're America, the good guys. Come on. And you mentioned something about it's it's, it's garbage. And you you mentioned China while well, going. I want to make this really quick point. Then I want to talk about how how much you know, the success you've had. You know, talking folks out of getting into the military. I want to talk about that because I think that's a very important point. But you mentioned China. It reminds me of this conversation I had with this guy at work. He got all freaked out because China and Saudi Arabia were talking about some kind of new currency or something. He goes, are you telling me that, that China's not our biggest threat? And I was like, no, our very own government's our biggest threat. I said, China's not stealing money out of my paycheck. <laughs> That's right. China's not trying to take my guns away, dude. Are they? You know, they're not, they're not the ones knocking on my door at 3 o'clock in the morning and shooting my neighbor for, for having weed. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and when I said that, he goes, well, I kind of see that. And then three days later, he was like, you better get back to the polls and vote for Donald Trump when he runs again. I said, why? He goes, well, you can't complain because you don't vote. And I was like, actually, I'm going to turn this on you because I don't think anybody that votes can complain because you ask for every bit of the tyranny that you're getting. I love that. Dude. You, If you participate in the system, you have zero room to complain. You wanted a master and you got one. You asked for it. Don't tell me that I can't complain. Actually, I think those that folks that are not particip participating have more right to complain about this because we didn't ask for any of this. We opted out. We want to be left the hell alone. Leave us alone. Mm -hmm. Don't tell. Don't go. Don't, don't go. Yep. Put somebody in power that's going to tell me how I need to live my life because that you agree with them. Because guess what happens? Four years later, the guy that you disagree with might be in power, and he's going to do the same thing to you. Well, it's like the joke that, you know, when uh, the Biden administration created the, I don't know, I can't remember what it's called, but we joke around about the, you know, the U.S. Ministry of Truth, you know, and, uh, you know, the Repu <laughs> there's, that, there's that meme that, that went around that was like Republicans in power and it was uh, a scene from Lord of the Rings and uh, he was holding the ring when somebody was holding the ring. And they were saying, and the ring was the U.S. Ministry of Truth, you know, and someone's saying, oh, like, you know, throw it into the, like, the lava or the volcano or whatever, you know, and uh, he said, I don't think I will, you know, and that's not true. Like, that's what it is, because the, all, the, the thing is that the power that the Democrats gave Obama that Trump used and now Biden's using, it's, it's always the same. You love it when your side's in power, but the moment they're not is when you're freaked out by it. So wouldn't the smart resolution would be solution would be to not give anybody that power. But of course, that's naive. Yeah, <laughs> it's very utopian to think that uh, we need the state. They call anarchists utopians. Like, I don't know, man. 
I don't know. My favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes is from Rothbard in A New Liberty. For anybody listening, I'm a huge, I'm a Rothbardian. Like that's kind of like uh, Ron Paul brought me to Rothbard and Rothbard is really what got me to, you know, and Capistan in my head, you know, as the terminology goes. But, um, you know, Rothbard said, you know, we're, we're often, anarchists or volunteers are often called utopians because we believe in a world without the state. He's like, I be, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, I believe the real utopians are the ones that believe you can give all the power and guns to an omnipresent state and it doesn't turn against you. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, have a, I think I have a man crush on Rothbard now. Oh, I do. <laughs> For sure, dude. <laughs> For sure. I didn't know until today that I might be a little gay. I did not know that. Right. <laughs> Everybody's a little bit gay, dude. A little bit. Maybe a little bit. Rothbard is my homie, dude. I love Rothbard. I'm going to have to go pray about this when we get done with with this podcast. Try to figure out exactly what's going on in Craig's head these days. Craig's like, please help me pray the Rothbard gay away. Like, I did not know that Jamie was going to turn me gay during his podcast. And it's working out like a charm. Like, he has some secret plan. Mission accomplished. This is a Christian podcast, by the way. Hang on a second. That's for Ron Paul and Rothbard. That's it. That's it. All right. We'll stop there. Anyway. So tell me about the, in our messaging, kind of setting this up here a while back, you said you've had mild success talking folks, younger folks out of getting in the military. And when you said mild success, it's, I think even mild success is better than no success. Mm -hmm. Right. So even if, even if it's one person, I think that's very important. So kind of talk about that a little bit and, and how you've been able to talk them out of it and, and what you said, because I want folks that are listening to this, be able to kind of use Jamie's uh, example if they're talking to folks about this very topic. So how, how did you go about that? Yeah, well, I've had a lot of kids, you know, because I've had the opportunity to like coach football and stuff and and do mentorship programs and and I go to the gym a lot. I go to the gym like every day and I, I just get to know a lot of these like young bucks, you know what I'm saying? Cause I talk, I'm a pretty friendly guy. I'm a pretty social guy, you know? So I'll talk to anybody, you know? And I, I've had kids come to me and be like, dude, were you in the military? I don't know if like there's some like, or, or I don't like maybe cause it's, I, I wear a hat and I have a beard, you know, and I like gives you the <laughs> perception of being in the military. But I've literally had kids come up to me like, Hey man, like, we in the military. I'm like, yeah. And so, like, I, I've just had the opportunities to have these conversations, just like I had. I've had opportunities to talk about volunteerism with my barber, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not scared or afraid to have the hard conversations or what some people would be would deem to be awkward conversations, right? So, with that being said, I've had a lot of kids come up to me and just say, "Hey, like, I'm thinking about joining the military. What's your advice?" And I, I believe that there is power in asking questions. You know, uh, in my personal life, I. You know, I, I my my entire career is built off of building relationships with people, and um, I believe the best way to help people answer their own questions is by answering their asking them questions. So a lot of times they say, "Oh yeah, I'm thinking about you know joining the military. Like, what do you think? Like, what's your opinion of that? Or like, what should I do?" And my first question always, "Well, why do you want to join the military? Like, let's establish the reasoning, your logic behind wanting to join the military." You'd be surprised. A lot of times, guys will just say, or kids will say, maybe you won't be surprised, but they'll say things like. I just always feel like I should. And that's how I felt. But why is that? That's because the propaganda machine told them that's what they should feel like, right? Like you, since you were, it's funny because the machine is actually working against itself now, which is hilarious, yeah. which I want to get to by the end, before the end of this podcast. But, um, you know, and, you know, especially growing up like in the 90s and early 2000s, dude, you were always seeing 
you know, join them, you know, you know, go Marines or go Ar- or go army or, you know, the few, the proud of the Marines air Force. like you were always seeing the recruiting ads on television and hearing on the radio all the time. They were 24 seven and, and the militaristic movies that I won't lie. I still enjoy. I, I still think they're fun movies to watch, but I can see through the propaganda now, you know, um, that they just that they've been told that's why that's how they should feel because if you're patriotic that means you join the military and you sign up to go fight for democracy across the globe right so first of all you establish why they feel that way and then you then whatever answer they give me it, the answer that I give refer you know will vary right if they told me it's just the way they feel then I'll say well do you come from a patriotic family like this that and the other you know and then for using that example I'll say something like yeah I come from a patriotic family too. Um, what do you think is so patriotic about joining the military? You, you see what I'm saying? And it just kind of continues this conversation. And that starts opening doors to, you know, don't you think it's pretty patriotic to not allow a the military industrial complex? I don't use that language with them, but to not allow politicians to use you as pawns to go hurt other people and to stay home and to and help build up your communities and your families, right? It doesn't seem a little more patriotic to you, right? So you got to use their logic. We talk about this all the time. Argue from the argue with the left from the left, and argue with the right from the right. It's the same thing with kids trying to join the military. Like use their reasoning and and apply it to them not joining up. And then sometimes, man, I'm just brutally honest with them. Like there was one kid, I was in the gym and I was washing my hands, and him and his buddy were talking about how he had just gone to the recruiting office and was going to go probably at the end of the week to sign up with the military, and they were talking all this stuff. And I just stopped and I said, "Hey, man, um, I said, what branch are you going to join up on?" And uh, he said Air Force. I was like, yeah, it's better than the rest of them. I said, you're definitely smarter than the, you know than I was. And he's like, oh, where are you in? I said, yeah. I said, uh, tell me. I said, can I ask you a question though? He's like, yeah, for sure. I was like, what's so exciting about getting your leg blown up for oil? <laughs> I said it just like that, dude. I, I swear, dude. I was standing. We were in the gym locker room. There's like a there's like a you know a 250 pound naked old guy like standing like 10 <laughs> feet away from us. You know? And uh, you could have heard a pin drop in there. And he's like, uh. He's, uh, uh, he's like, I don't, and he, he couldn't really answer. I just said, I said, you probably need to learn more about what we do and our purposes overseas before you join up. Uh, I said, I was in, and I, if I do all over again, I would never have done it, you know? And sometimes you just got to drop the bomb on them, dude. Because that's the, the only way you can get them to actually think about what they're about to do is by blowing up their narrative. And the only way to blow up a narrative, a narrative sometimes is just to say it how it is. Because it's that shock and all. And they take a step back and they think, well, I never thought about my leg being blown off for oil. You know what I'm saying? So that's a really long answer. Hopefully that was, you know, kind of encompassing. No, I, mean, I think I think we should be brutally honest. It reminds me of a conversation I had with this guy at work, and he's in the uh, Mississippi National Guard. And he's never been in combat, but he said something one time on break. He goes, I was just built to, to you know, to kill. I think I'm, that's my makeup, you know, to kill people. Uh, I was like, that's strange. That's a little psychotic. And he looked at me and then I got into the conversation about Yemen and all this stuff. I said, I said, I, I said, I have no interest in going and killing somebody that I've never probably would have never met before anyway, had it not been for some illegal war. I said, every war we've been involved with, this is where I get brutally honest with, with folks. I was like, every war we've been involved with since World War II has been illegal, according to the United States Constitution. You're, you're going to, sw- you already swore an oath to that Constitution, right? If you go to, into any of these wars, it's illegal. And then the other day he goes, I'm thinking about becoming a police officer because I want to help people. <laughs> and I locked it up because I was fixing to say, help people. Yeah, right. They're not helping people. 
They show up late and then they show up to a school in Uvalde, Texas, and do not stop the slaughter of children. Well, the Supreme Court even says that they have no duty to help you. Right. I mentioned that. I mentioned that in conversation when I was back home. When we were talking about this a little bit. I said nobody thinks about this. The Supreme Court came out and said that they have no. They're, they're not, they don't have any, they don't have the duty to defend anybody. Well, what the hell are they there for? Yeah. What, what are they? What are, what are they there for? Were you saying we don't we don't need police? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, what in an anarchist uh, society are you telling me we wouldn't have a police? I said, if that if that community wants some, they can they can put you know put a security a security force together. It's up to them. But even then, it's not a monopoly on, you know, uh, I will say protection for you know, you know, just because I guess. But uh, you know, it's it, like Michael Malice has often said, it's you know, a monopoly on anything is not good. You know what I'm saying? Like the you know, the state is a monopoly on aggression and violence, right? Like. The police force is a quote unquote monopoly on protection. Like monopolies aren't good and monopolies don't exist in anarchism, you know, free market anarchism, I should say. Right. And that's that's a question I get from folks when they're trying to understand what I'm talking about, what a, what a voluntary society would look like. And because they, they, they listen to it, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier. We got to stop trashing these folks for being in the military because it's not productive. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. We need to stop trashing police officers because it's not productive when folks are trying to understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Because these police officers, and we saw it through COVID. We saw we saw they're they there to protect the state. The state protects the state. They're not there for, to protect you. They've already ruled that they don't have to protect you. Right. Now, in in a uh, voluntary society, if there's a police force or security force, well, you call it whatever you want. They're beholden to the community. They're not. They're not beholden to a politician. You got politicians hiding behind the guns of these police officers, making these stupid laws, and these guys are enforcing these laws, and it, it, it's it's garbage. I think that's why there's an anarchism argument for maybe not an anarchism argument, but there's like a minarchist argument for uh, sheriffs, right? Because sheriffs are much more beholden to their community and stuff like that. So, uh, no, I definitely agree, man. I I think it, it, in any in any case we need to stop being bashful about what the truth is, right? Because if someone comes up to you and asks you a question, like that's that's one of the things I feel like the left never holds back. When you ask them a question about how they feel on a specific subject, the left doesn't doesn't hold back. They'll release the freaking Kraken on that thing. You know what I'm saying? Like they're going all out on their opinion and they and and they're, you know, they will no holds bar, man. It is it is, it is anything goes in the ring with the left when you ask them a question. But with the right and libertarians, we have to hold our tongue because our 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 views are the extremist views. They're, they're not the, the socially appropriate. Screw that, dude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to come and ask me a question or even have a conversation around me um, that like I'm a part of, you know, but I may not be actively engaging, you are giving – you're opening the doors, man. And so whatever comes out, comes out, you know. And that's how I felt about these kids. I, like I said, there's two different ways to handle it. There's – asking questions on how they feel and why they're doing these things and why they're, why they're thinking about joining. And then there's the other way of just being upfront and honest with them. I still have friends of mine that, cause I was the, I was one of the first of my friends groups to join my friend group to join the military. And there's a lot of buddies within my friend group that joined after me. And I remember when I was in telling them not to join, like being like, I'm telling you, dude, you're going to hate it. It's like, and, and, and not even talking about like, cause they weren't even really like libertarian types, you know, but just like, I knew why I was saying that, you know what I'm saying? Because I mean, the military sucked in general. I mean, they just treat you like trash. So to be completely honest with you, but like, I also know the reason like I don't want my buddies being used as pawns 
and politicians wars. Like I don't want that of my friends, you know? And it's funny because years later I had my buddies come to me and be like, dude, you were right, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish I would have listened to you, you know, like, and then some of them get stuck because that's the only life they know. And that's the hard part too. A lot of people don't know that or think about that is a lot of times, man, these guys, they, they I know friends that wanted to get out, but didn't know what they were going to do after. They were scared that they didn't have any translatable skills into the workforce, that they were going to get out and be a nobody and be bro- go and going back to being broke and, and nobody would hire them or whatever. Because all the higher veterans initiatives, you know, pale in comparison to diversity hirings, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, uh, it, it's just one of those things I don't think people think about that. They also get stuck there. And that's the last thing I want for my friends feeling like they can't go anywhere else or any kid, any 18 year old kid feeling like they joined up and then they realize, oh, this was all a lie, but I, I'm too far in and I don't know what else I would do. You know, I think that it's very important that we are brutally honest with folks. Something was mentioned to all this, this most recent episode we released. And this uh, guy said, he said, there's not a lot of real out there. He said, keep being real. And I, I think that we, uh, anybody that knows me by now, anybody that's been following this project knows by now, if you're going to ask Craig a question, you're going to get an answer that you might not like. <laughs> and I think that's okay. Yeah, it is okay, dude. I think it's okay to be honest, be real. If you ask me how I feel about something, Craig's going to tell you. And it's probably not going to be what you're going to like. And it happens a lot in my everyday life when, you know, talking to folks at work about it. They look at me like I'm a psycho because they're not, they've not heard this stuff before. It's so strange that they haven't heard it. They Somebody along the way has, has to have been told told them this stuff. But it's also, I, I use this terminology quite a bit too, the, the, the vast majority of folks have the mind of a goldfish and they can't remember what happened last week. And they're just focused on what just happened today and they forgot what happened the past two years. You know, we've, we've got to get past that. We've got to get to a point where we're like, hang on a second. We we can't do this anymore. It's not working. This is not working how we're going about this. And as anarchists or Christians or voluntarians or libertarians or whatever you want to call yourself, we've got to remember who our king is. Amen to that. That's all it is, man. And, I, I, dude, I, I love your podcast. If y'all, if y'all have not... Listen to uh, Liberty Uninterrupted. I, I recommend you go check his, his show out because it is it's a, there's some interesting conversations on there, and there's going to be some stuff that you're going to hear that you might not agree with, and that's okay. That's what we're doing. We, we got to keep talking. We got to keep talking. This is how we how how change happens when we keep talking. Keep the conversation going. We can disagree. You know, you and I are pretty close. You know, and there's some things that we disagree on, and that's okay. Just keep talking. Well, that's the thing. Like even if like. Even if we got to our volunteer society, our voluntary society that we're all hoping for tomorrow, we all the anarchists and libertarians would still be fighting about the philosophy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we're never all going to agree, and that's totally fine. Like I, that's- <laughs> I, I, I know when you listen to my show because even as a volunteerist, I, a big a, a big part of my philosophy subscribes to the Hoppian method of of localism and local politics, right? And I don't hide that fact, right? Like. And, and people can call me a hypocrite or whatever. Fine. They, that's up to you. But at the end of the day, what you do know about me is that I want to live in a world with a voluntary society. I want to live in a world where the state stops existing and, 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 and ceases to violate your individual sovereignty your, and your natural rights. If we can agree on that, then we're good to go, man. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about the nuances. I don't care because life is not black and white. 
There's a lot of like nuance is like the forbidden word in libertarianism for some reason. I think would disagree with you because I see everything in black and white. I don't see a lot of gray. <laughs> I don't see any gray. I'm very stubborn about that. So and it's, it's funny because when I got into these circles and I was watching libertarians, I was like, I like what they were saying, but they're all fighting with each other constantly. It's true. Constantly. They're fighting constantly. And I'm like, what are y'all doing? Y'all aren't even, y'all aren't, y'all aren't even on the same team. Yep. You, know, I, you don't sound like it anyway. You know, so that was always interesting to me to see that happening. It still happens because there is a nuance, dude. Like, see, me and we're already disagreeing on the colors. You know, libertarians <laughs> <laughs> disagree on everything, dude. I'm colorblind, man. I'm colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. But I uh, no, I I think it's really important for uh, you know for people to you know going back to the theme of this episode is to look at the situation that we're in for. What it is, the military industrial complex is the, you know, a murder wing of the state from for many, many people across the globe. It is. And uh, and unfortunately, we have sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends and and, you know, people that are being used um, and they don't even know they're being used. They're being used across the globe to continue an agenda of nation building and policing the world. And and all to line the pockets of politicians and special interests. Uh, you see it now. I think blatant examples in, in Ukraine right now with Zelensky. Right. So, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you've ever been in. It doesn't matter if you've you know, if you're a veteran or not. Like we've got to start telling the truth of what it is. And I think we're seeing that now. Something I wanted to bring up before the end of the episode was th- there was an article published um, by The Hill, which I'm not a huge fan of, but at all. Uh, but they did publish these stats. It was on June 21st of this year. And they said after five months of the fiscal year, the army reached only 23% of its active duty goal for new recruits, right? Like in the, so military recruiting is down tremendously. They're, they're nowhere even near the recruiting goals. Um, military, each branch military as a whole, which I think is going to show a couple of things. I think, um, obviously everyone uses the terminology, go woke, go broke. I don't think that's, uh, you know, I, I, business exclusive, obviously like y- you've seen the ads or it's hilarious. You've seen the ads, for, like the army and the Marines. And it's just like, you know, like the idea that you would go, you, you don't know your target audience, which I'm cool with. Like, let the machine eat itself. I'm totally good with that. Let it screw themselves over. I just think it's funny that they don't understand that. You know, I think a big part of it also is seeing that, like you mentioned, you know, I, we can't remember last week. I don't remember what happened last week. Dude, I, I I got a busy life. But I tell you what, I do remember what happened 20 years ago when we were lied into war over lies of weapons of mass destruction. And I think 20 years of war hopefully opened up people's eyes of seeing, like, they're going to lie us into another war. You know, they're going to lie us into another conflict. You mentioned that, that the, the, the recruitment numbers are down. And then all of a sudden, I was going to, I started forming my tinfoil hat to put on <laughs> because... What worries me about that is, well, if if the numbers are down, then maybe they're going to start something new to get people patriotic. That's true. Maybe that's a conspiracy. I don't know. But I don't trust anything that the state does. And I think they do things intentionally because they're the state. You know, they're they're evil and they're using us as pawns to promote their agenda while they can sit behind their uh, big fences in these big white houses and 
they're so out of touch anyway. Anyway, right now I'll take that as a white pill. You know what I'm saying? Until other proven, until proven otherwise, that'll be my white pill moment. And I hope so. Like I said, like I, when you when you were talking about that, I was thinking about. It, I was like, damn, that means we're probably fixing to get into another war. <laughs> Looks funny because this article that I'm reading that the, the name of this article is the military has a serious recruiting problem. Congress must fix it. <laughs> That's a legitimate headline. You know, they're going to bring back the draft or whatever. You know, that would be that would be the day, man. Yeah. So, well, go ahead and uh, plug your stuff where they can find you at. And uh, like I said before, anybody listen to this, if y'all not checked out his show yet, go check it out. You're, you're going to enjoy these conversations he has. It's kind of like we did today. It's just a conversation. We're all over the place. But it's a fun conversation, and we're talking about things that people need to keep talking about. We got to keep talking, keep having conversations. This is how we make change. But go ahead and plug your stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, once again, my name is Jamie Kane. I'm the host and founder of Liberty Uninterrupted, the Libertarian Method to Overcoming the State. You can find it anywhere um, podcasts are found. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you, man. Like I really enjoy our conversations. I got to have you back on the show when you got some time. Uh, but also, you, got, you can find me on social media, too. I guess I should mention that. If, if you go on Instagram, at Liberty Uninterrupted. I'm on Twitter with We The People. People spell PPL. Run this. So We The People run this at Twitter. Also on Facebook, Float, um, all that good stuff. So you can find me there. But my main account is Instagram and the podcast, of course. Yeah, if y'all really are not sick of listening to Craig, go check out my episode on, on his show. We had a It was a fun conversation. It was and I sent it to folks, and they're like, "You sounded pretty good in that one." I was like, "What are you saying in my other ones? I don't sound that good." Like they like they seem surprised sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you sounded all right. Yeah. You know, you sounded like you know. that's how I do. That's how I feel all the time, man. I, I've been recording like a freaking animal lately, and and I haven't had enough time to prepare. Even though it's more of a conversationalist type, you know, podcast, and I'm like, I'm recording with all these awesome people, and I'm like, I probably sound like an idiot, but that's all right. You know, that's part of the process. Yeah, so, well, yeah man. I, I appreciate you having me on. It was a pleasure. This is a subject that I'm obviously passionate about, and, and hopefully your listeners enjoyed it. So I, I have no doubt that they're going to enjoy this conversation. It was fun. and I, Like I said, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the work you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing, buddy, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. <laughs>